Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of the Song of Solomon. The Old Testament passage of the Song of Solomon. If you're looking for it inside of your Bible, open up towards the middle and you'll usually end up near Psalms or Proverbs. If you keep turning the other direction, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon in chapter number one. We're continuing with the life and ministry of Solomon. And we've seen as Solomon where he came from with David and Bathsheba. We saw the events leading up to him becoming king. We saw after that, that David, how he uh, addressed the crowd and talked to the crowd and explained how he prepared things together and encouraging them to willingly follow after Solomon and help Solomon with the things that God has given him to do. We then saw as David wrote a psalm for Solomon and a song for Solomon. And now as we're continuing to progress inside of the life and ministry of of Solomon, that Solomon is now king, David has endorsed him, but we find a significant event inside of his life and it is told within a poetical book that kind of gives some of the backstory and then what happens as Solomon is going to celebrate a very important day and through it we find a very significant spiritual truth. If you've never been told the Song of Solomon, the story of it, this may be a great encouragement and a help to you. We're going to cover the entire book in a survey form, but also in a story form to kind of piece together and explain the story of this Song of Solomon so you could have a good image in your head. If you don't mind, let's start off by looking at the Song of Solomon in chapter number one. The Song of Solomon, chapter number one, and notice with me starting at verse one. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, when you mark as the Bible describes itself, this book describes itself, in Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verse 1, as the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs. And with the Lord's help, we're going to do a survey of the book of Song of Solomon's, the Song of Psalms. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, Lord, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and mercy, that you would just help us to have a good image of this story, to be able to have an accurate image, a biblical image, and that we could see the spiritual truth that we could derive from this. I'm asking that you would just be with my words and be with my mind, organize my thoughts to be able to be coherent, to be able to explain it in a clear way, to be a help to these good folks here. I'm asking that you would help people to have their mind and hearts and attention towards you now, that you would set aside any distraction, anything that would keep them from looking up towards you, that you would get victories even now. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that you would help them to trust him today. And for those of you, us who are saved, Lord, I'm asking that we would look forward to your imminent return. Lord, thank you again. Fill me with your spirit. You guide and direct even now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
North of Jerusalem, about 60 miles, there's a small little backwoods village by the name of Shunem. Shunem was a poor little village. It was a place that was just dirty, poor. The people were trying to survive. And in this poor little town, there was a poor widow woman who was trying to take care of her family the best that she could. There were two older boys within the family, but these two older boys were lazy and they didn't work. So the bulk of the work fell upon this widow woman and her daughter, who we see as the main person in this story. And so here is a young teenage girl who has to put up the load of the work, who has to try to work to help her family survive with her and her mama. And we see that the work is already starting to take a toll on her. Notice with me in Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6 as the Bible describes this young lady. And for Song of Solomon chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 it says, I am black but comely. O ye daughters of Jerusalem as the tents of Kedar as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. As it describes this young lady, it describes that she is someone who has to work outside in the fields. And because of that, the sun has uh, burnt her. She is a deep tan. Now, why is this a big deal? Because back in the ancient world, even up until the 1940s of our country, that when people wanted to discuss beauty, they would often see how fair they were. You guys remember mirror, mirror on the wall? Who was the fairest of them all? The idea back then is that beauty and prestige was someone who was as pale as they possibly could. These are people that didn't have to labor outside. They didn't have to work inside. And so when she's saying, don't uh, look upon me because I'm black, and, but I'm still comely. She goes, I'm, I'm pretty, but I've been outside working. And because I'm outside working, I'm suntanned and sunburned. And it just shows that I have to go out and work. And I have to do this because this is what I have to do to survive and support my family. Now this Shunammite girl, she's out working in the fields and working in the vineyard, happens to run into a small little shepherd boy. A shepherd boy who was out taking care of the flocks or dressing the sheep. And as she was doing this, this handsome shepherd boy captured her heart. And her, his heart was captured by her. And a small little love thing began to develop with this Cinderella type girl and this shepherd boy. Springtime is starting to come around. Notice with me in chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse number 10. It says, my beloved spake and said unto me, rise up my love, my fair one, and come away for lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of the singing birds is come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Here we have this picture here that you could smell the smells of spring. You could hear the sounds of spring. Springtime has come upon the land, and springtime has come upon these two young lovebirds. This shepherd boy and his love towards this Shunammite girl, and this Shunammite girl and a love towards this shepherd boy. And so as it be their love began to grow deeper, the shepherd boy has to come to her and as they're trying to get to know each other you know she would always ask questions and he would always artfully dodge about it you know what do you do and he would turn her question around well one day this shepherd boy comes to her and says honey 
I've got to go somewhere. But when I'm going, I'm going to go prepare a place for you and for me. And I am coming back for you, I promise. And when I come back, it's because I prepared the place for you and I to live. And when, we, when I come back for you, it's going to be our wedding day. And so he says, I've got to go. It's something I have to do. I got to go prepare a place. But I promise you, I'm coming back for you. Well, this little girl would... <coughs> um, Take this to heart that she was looking for her shepherd boy. Every day she would wake up saying, is this the day that my shepherd boy would come back? Is this the day that he is going to be there? And every night she would look up at the stars and say, well, maybe he's coming back tomorrow. Maybe he's coming back tomorrow. He told me he's coming back. I believe him. He's coming back. He gave me his word. He indeed is coming back. And so we see that this... um, story starts to develop through the Song of Solomon. Here's this young girl who's love, who's waiting for her shepherd boy to come back, and it begins to consume her very much. <laughs> that one day he is coming back, and one day he's coming back for her. So now every morning the young lady is looking for her shepherd boy, and she begins to have nightmares come about because she's imagining that the shepherd boy is coming back and she has nightmares that maybe she's missing him. In fact, notice as some of these nightmares are listed and notice with me in Song of Solomon chapter number three. Song of Solomon chapter three and notice with me in verse one. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him but I found him not. I will rise up now and go about the city of the streets and in the broadways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me to whom I said, saw ye him whom my soul loveth. Notice the nightmare is repeated in Song of Solomon in chapter 5. Song of Solomon chapter 5 and notice with me in verse 2. Song of Solomon chapter 5 and verse 2. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet swelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. And I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake, and I sought him, but I could not find him. I called to him, but he gave me no answer. At the watchmen that went about the city found me, and they smote me, and they wounded me, and the keepers of the wall took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick with love. So here's the Shudamite girl who had this shepherd boy. The shepherd boy said, listen, I'm going away and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And when I come back, it will be our wedding day, but I've got to go. And so he goes. And this girl has been waiting in anticipation for him day after day, waiting for him so much that maybe today he's coming back. Maybe today he's coming back. Every night she looks and says, well, maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's tomorrow. But she has such anticipation. She can't be shaken. He made me a promise. He is coming back. And she begins to develop these nightmares that she would have a dream that in her dream as she's resting, she's sleeping, that her shepherd boy knocks on the door. Hey, honey, I'm here. I'm finally back for you. Hey, hey, 
hello? And she's asleep and in her dream she's having a hard time rising and finally she realizes it's her shepherd boy in the dream. And so she rushes to the door and opens it and he's already gone and now she's broken hearted. So she rushes out in the street in the middle of the night in her nightmare. And she's like, where'd he go? Have you seen my shepherd boy? And she'd go up to the people. Did you see the shepherd boy? Did you see something? No one knocking on her door. Did you see? And nobody knew. She goes to the watchman and say, did you see the shepherd boy come? I've been looking for him. Did he come? And they all make fun of her and they jeer and laugh at her and they hurt her. And she's just crying, Lord, have you seen my shepherd boy? Ladies, have you seen my shepherd boy? And she would wake from their dream and go, oh, it was just a dream. I haven't missed him yet. Maybe today he'll be here. Maybe today will be the day. Well, this went on, this anticipation that one day my shepherd boy is coming back. He made me a promise that he is coming back. And when he comes back, he's prepared a place for me. And when he's coming back, it will be indeed our wedding day. He made me a promise and he's going to keep his promise. And she's determined to stick to this promise, this anticipation, day after day after day after day. Well, her thoughts are always on her shepherd boy. And so she would often talk to everybody who would listen about what her shepherd boy would be like. Anyone that she could listen Maybe you could imagine this young lady who's got a broom in her hand and she's not doing a lot of sweeping but doing a little bit more daydreaming and mama's maybe doing the dishes and she looks up and says, Mama, have I told you about my shepherd boy? Have I told you about what he's like and how great he is? And mama says, yes, honey, yes, a thousand times, yes, you have told about your shepherd boy. Well, then mama, for the thousandth and first time, can I tell you a little bit more about my shepherd boy? And you could see mama just kind of sigh as the young lady daydreaming just tells a little bit more about what her shepherd boy would be like. Notice as she describes the shepherd boy through the Song of Solomon. Notice with me, Song of Solomon in chapter number two. Song of Solomon chapter two and verse number nine. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth beyond or behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. He says, Mama, let me tell you what my shepherd boy's like. He's as swift and graceful like a roe or a young heart. He's like a gazelle just walking upon the rocks of the mountains. He's so swift. He's so agile. He's so dexterous. Let me tell you, he's so strong and swift. Oh, my shepherd boy. Oh, he's so great. Notice with me as she goes to chapter 5 and verse 10, begins to describe the shepherd boy a little bit more. Notice with me chapter 5 and verse 10. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among the 10,000. That phrase white and ruddy is equivalent to our tall, dark, and handsome today. Let me tell you, mama, he's tall, dark, and handsome. He's the best that we have up there. He's the chiefest of 10,000. If you were to go throughout all of our kingdom and find the 10,000 most uh, good-looking young men in the kingdom, my shepherd boy, he would stand head and shoulders above them all. Let me tell you, my shepherd boy, he's so good looking. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He's whatever thing I dream of. He loves me so much and I can't wait to see him. Mama, let me tell you more about my shepherd boy. Notice with me in chapter 5 and verse number 11. 
His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. Mama, let me tell you what he looks like. To look at his head is like looking at a face of gold. He's so fine. His hair is black and it's like looking at raven's feathers. Oh, he's just so good looking. I meant he's, he's swift like a gazelle. He's strong. Let me tell you, he's the fairest of 10,000. You, you go ahead and compare him to everyone else. He's head and shoulders above them all. Just looking at his face, it's fine like gold. His black hair is like a raven. This is a good looking man, mama. He's my shepherd boy. It goes on in verse number 12. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water, washed in milk and fitly set. This idea of eyes of doves carries the idea. Let me tell you, when I look in his eyes, they're like eyes of peace. They're just peaceful eyes. Everything is calm. Just looking at his eyes give me a sense of peace. Notice with me in verse 13. And mama, let me tell you a little bit more. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips are like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. All of a sudden, mama drops dishes in the sink and says, how do you know what his lips taste like? Well, it's probably best that she goes on and tells a little bit more about her shepherd boy. Notice with me in verse number 15, uh, 14. His hands are as gold rings set with broil. His belly is bright ivory laid with sapphires. And so he says, let me tell you, he's so strong. He's so handsome. He's so big. Mom, he, he, he's just a strong man. He's so good looking. Verse number 15. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, as excellent as the cedar. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. He says, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he is the greatest. He's better than the others. He's altogether lovely. And let me tell you something, Mama. He's my friend. Let me tell you, most relationships should be based off of friendship. We know the physical will fade away after a while. And if it's built off just physical, what do you have after that? Let me tell you, it's always good for the best friend of a wife to be her husband. And to be the best friend of the husband to be the wife. If you, someone else is the best friend, let me tell you, it could cause issues later on. There should be a friendship there. And that's what she's saying. Let me tell you all about my shepherd boy, mama. Let me tell you how great he is. Let me tell you how lovely he is. He stands up to everyone else. He's so strong and graceful. He's so good looking. He's so fine from the head, top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He's the greatest. He's so lovely. He's my friend. I can't wait. My shepherd boy is coming back for me. You can imagine this young lady lady just twiddle pated and in love just just waiting for her shepherd boy that maybe today's the day they come and you can see mama just rolling her eyes deep into her head yes honey yes honey, all together lovely yes yes he's yeah he's coming back yep yep and just acknowledging him so where is the shepherd boy what's going on with him well probably somewhere else in the city of Jerusalem the time has gone on and he's waiting for them. You have probably set in some cafe this young man who's with his friends and they're talking about the different things that are occurring, the politics, sports, something. But every time he gets a chance, he wants to tell everyone about his young girl that he has waiting for him in the small little village. Notice as this man begins to describe 
his lady. Now, by the way, we could tell a man wrote this because it was done in shorter words. If it was written by a lady's perspective, we'd be here from here to two o'clock talking about how they met and everything that, that put together. So we understand there's a conciseness to this. But let's notice here, if you don't mind, as he begins to describe his young shepherd girl, the one that's left behind and shoot him. Notice with me in chapter one in verse eight. Chapter one in verse eight. If thou know not thou fairest among women... Go thy way for the footsteps of the flock and the, thy kids besides the shepherd tent. He said, let me tell you about the most beautiful woman that I have ever met. Let me tell you about what she's like. Notice with me in verse 15. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Thou art fair. Thou has dove's eyes. There again, we see this idea of dove's eyes. About three times he describes this young lady with having dove's eyes, having these eyes of peace. Why, when the day is going hard and the struggles are many and the workload is increased, he says, all I have to do is look into her eyes and those struggles and all the torment of all those things are taken away. When I look upon those eyes of that young girl, that Cinderella girl, I'm looking at the eyes of peace. It's just peaceful to look at her eyes. Notice as he describes her more in chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Once again, we have this idea of the dove's eyes. But notice this. Her, thy hair is like a flock of goats that appear from the Mount of Gilead. Here, this is a poetical way of saying that her hair sits gracefully, that her hair is well done, that, that it, it's, she takes time to take care of it. Verse number two, or verse three, rather. Thy lips are like the thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Notice as it puts an emphasis on her on her lips, that her lips, the things that were coming from her lips were just as attractive as she was. You know, today, uh, young ladies are taught that in order to get a man, you have to flatter him. You have to lie to him. You have to boost up his ego. But he says, excuse me, but he says, but not her. Her, her lips have good things coming from it. Her speech is comely. Her speech is appropriate. Her speech is what needs to happen. It's not flattering and it's not boastful and it's not cruel and it's not foul. It is comely, appropriate language. Notice as it goes on, he describes her some more. And um, chapter number four, or chapter four, verse four, thy neck is like the tower of David builded for an armory where... Therein hang a thousand bucklers and the shield of mighty men. He says, listen, she's graceful. There's a dignity to her. The way that he's describing his poetical language about how well she carries herself. And there should be a way to carry herself. We know that there are some people that are just so beat and so defeated. And they're just, they don't carry themselves well. She carries herself well. Notice he describes her some more in chapter 7 and verse 1. Chapter 7 and verse 1. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O princes, uh, princes' daughters. The joints of thy thighs are like jewels and the hands, uh, work of the hands of a cunning workman. Verse number two, thy navel, navel is like a round goblet which wanteth not liquor. 
Well, we may have to chalk that up for Hebrew, that it may be something else. That, that men, when you are looking for a good romantic way of trying to describe your wife, the Song of Solomon may not be where to go in our culture today. To go, honey, let me tell you, thy navel is like a round goblet, which wanteth not liquor. And if that doesn't get you slapped, well, then the next statement will. Thy belly is like a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Honey, you look like a sack of wheat. Just lay there. Maybe perhaps this wasn't before their marriage. Maybe this was after their marriage for a couple years afterwards. But regardless, he goes up. We understand that this is an Eastern book several thousand years ago. Things may have changed a little bit what they were looking for. But you, you might want to be careful about trying to be romantic and trying to quote this to your wife and saying what she looks like. Notice he goes on in uh, verse number four. By the way, this is what happens when you get a guy with no Hollywood script and telling him that you want to say something romantic. Go ahead and think of something on your mind. Notice in verse 4, chapter 7, verse 4. Thy neck is like a tower of ivory. Thy eyes are like the fish pool of Heshbon, the gates of Barab. Thy nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looketh towards Damascus. And verse 4, he says, guess what? You want to try to get a guy to be romantic and he's not used to it, doesn't have Hollywood script. He says, when I look at your eyes, it reminds me of fishing. <laughs> I think about fishing now. They're like the fish ponds. Of, and, and then he turns around and says, you know what? Your nose, it's like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Again, we might want to chalk that up. That, that probably meant something different in the Hebrew than what it sounds like right there. But honey, you got a nose that sticks out like, uh, Good. <laughs> And so he's still thinking about her shepherd boy. Good. So <laughs> he's thinking about her. He's thinking, thinking about, uh, she's thinking about him. And one day she's waiting for her shepherd boy to come. Well, one day in the town of Shunem, there's big news. I meant really big news that doesn't come that often to that small town. The news is, is that King Solomon himself, newly fresh minted king, is coming to make his way to shoot him. And everybody says, well, why is he coming here? There's nothing. This is a dirty old place. Why is he coming here? Mayor, do you know? Well, maybe he's coming to give me a award. I don't know. Maybe he wants me to be part of his cabinet. Who knows? But everybody's a buzz. Solomon is coming. Solomon is coming. And so as people are getting ready for Solomon to come, everyone's getting things cleaned up. They're dusting off the town. They're getting their Sunday best, getting everything ready to go. Everyone's excited except for one person. Mama comes in and says, honey, it's King Solomon's to come into town. You need to come and see him. You need to get things ready. Hey, the young girl says, listen, mama, I'm not looking for a king. I'm looking for a shepherd. I'm looking for a shepherd boy. I'm not looking for a king. You can have your king if you want. I'm not going to go see him. I'm waiting for my shepherd. And mama just kind of shrugs her shoulder and says, okay, all right. And so they wait. And so Solomon begins to come. Notice with me in chapter three in verse number 11. Chapter three in verse 11. Chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, Go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold, King Solomon with the crown, wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals, in the day of the gladness of heart. She goes, yeah, go ahead, you go look at him. I don't want to see him. I'm not looking for a king. I'm looking for a shepherd boy. You want to go see him? Go help yourself. That's not an interest to me. And so Solomon begins to make his way. They could see and smell Solomon's entourage before he even gets there. Notice with me chapter 3 and verse 6. 
Who is that that cometh of the wilderness like the pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense and with all the powders of the merchant? That what you could do is you could see the dust cloud coming as Solomon is beginning to approach. You could see in the distance the entourage, the wagons, the troops all coming, the dust being kicked up. And before they even get to town, you could smell the sweet fragrance of frankincense, of myrrh, of these beautiful sweet savors that are coming. The wind is carrying them even before the entourage gets to town. Notice with me in chapter 3 and verse 7. Behold, his bed, which is Solomon's, three score valiant men are about it, of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of the fear of the night. So here, Solomon is being escorted by three score valiant men. Remember, a score is 20, so three times 20. Sixty men are now surrounding Solomon's uh, carriage that is coming up. They're all traveling. They're walking in step. Just a beautiful sight that their swords are all uh, shiny and glinting in the sun. So as they're marching, it's a very impressive sight to have all of these uh, 60 men marching in step, marching in row, marching in pace, watching as <laughs> the cloud is going behind them. They're going with such professionalism, such uh, pomp and circumstance that you could see with it the sun gl glinting off of their weapons, showing that they're ready to go. It is a very impressive sight, especially coming to this small little backwater town of Shunem. Notice as we see verse number nine, uh, Song of Solomon 3, 9. King Solomon had made himself a chariot of wood of Lebanon. Notice as it describes it, verse 10. He hath made the pillars thereof of silver, the bottom thereof of gold, and covering it of purple, in the midst thereof being paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. And so as he shows up, he has this chariot, and this chariot has silver on the bottom. It is overlaid with gold and then has purple curtains surrounding it. It is the very uh, picture of luxury that has now come up. And as this drives into the little town of Shunem, it has stopped by. And as they stop by, the herald comes out and says, Solomon has come to see a person. And of course, the person that the king has come to see is the one person who is not there. And so when mama hears about this, she runs as fast as she can and rushes back into there and says, honey, you need to come. Solomon is asking for you. I told you, mama, I'm not looking for a king. I'm looking, what? The king had come to pick her up. The king had come to her. You see, that shepherd boy that she had been waiting for that whole time has finally come. He left as a shepherd boy, but when he came back, he was king. And as king, he had promised her that when he came back, he had prepared a place for her. And once that place was prepared, he was coming back. And the day that he picked her up was going to be her wedding day. And so quickly, mama puts on a dress and throws it on, on her and drags her out so she could go meet Solomon. And sure enough, they are there. She grabs her little sister and they travel together to Jerusalem for their wedding. Notice with me in chapter 2 and verse 4. Chapter 2 and verse 4. He brought me to the banquet house and his banner over me was love. 
as she went back with Solomon and as they traveled back for their wedding day, they came back to Jerusalem and over in Jerusalem, you could see that there are banners all over preparing for this wedding feast, things all set aside just for her and all over it's just this display that Solomon loved her and had prepared everything for it, that his banner over me is love. You see, what we have here is a young lady who had fallen in love with a shepherd boy. And the shepherd boy had to go away someday and said that I have to go prepare a place for you. And when I come back, and I will come back, I give you my word that when I come back, I'm going to take you Oh, to that place are prepared and it will be your wedding day. And she had waited for a shepherd boy and waited for a shepherd boy and waited and waited to the place that everyone else had given up, but she had not given up. She got to the place where people were making fun of her. Why are you still waiting for him? Why are you still waiting for him? She goes, he gave me his word. He's coming back. I'm looking for him to come back. And one day she, he did come back and not just as a shepherd boy, but he came back as the king and he took her away. Well, we know that we had a great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is our great shepherd. And he came up on this earth to live the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross. He was buried on a borrowed tomb on the third day. He rose again. And those last 40 days he spent with those disciples re giving them the promise. In fact, notice with me in the gospel record of John chapter 14, see the promise that Jesus Christ made. John chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And notice with me in verse one, Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. Notice what he tells his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus Christ told him, said, boys, let me tell you something. I'm going to go prepare a place for you and I will come again. And by the way, when I come again, I'm going to take you with me. And by the way, it will be our wedding day that the Jesus Christ is going to marry the bride of Christ, the church. And he promised that, that God gave a promise that he will come again. And we've been waiting all this time. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's today. You understand there is no more signs, no more wonders, no more prophecies that need to be fulfilled for Jesus Christ to come back. It could come back at any time. He could finish, come back before I finish this sermon. Even so, Lord, come quickly. And it's been our great anticipation. Maybe today's the day he comes. Maybe today's the day he comes. When we lay down at night, it should be our great anticipation that maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's tomorrow. But we're looking forward to it. He made us a promise that he is coming again. We know the world makes fun of it. The Bible talks about in 2 Peter chapter number, <laughs> Second Peter chapter number three, the, that their last days there'll be scoffers, and of course there is scoffers, and they're scoffing over his own lust, and they're saying, "Where is the promise of his coming?" They're like, "You've been waiting all this year, these years, for Jesus Christ to come back. He's not coming. Just get over it." And our response is, "He made a promise." He is coming back. I'm looking forward to my shepherd boy coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming back as king. And when he comes back, it's going to be our wedding day. 
We have this promise of God. Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, dear friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's something you need to get nailed down. You need to know for sure that your sins are forgiven. You say, how do I do that? Well, first of all, recognizing that you're a sinner and because of your sin that you've offended a holy, righteous God, but that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine, and that all you have to do is believe on that promise for yourself. And once you do that, you have God's word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should would not perish, but have everlasting life. But for those of us who are saved, we have God's promise that right now he is going to prepare a place for us. And he is currently doing that. And one day the father is going to look at his son and say, son, go get your bride. And Jesus Christ is coming back. And the day that he comes back and fulfills his promise, he's coming to take us back home to live with him forever in a place that he has prepared and will be with him for all eternity. And this is our great hope. This is our blessed hope. This is what we're looking for is Jesus Christ coming back for us. And that he is coming back as he promised. Whereas Solomon, it took a long time for that Shunammite girl to wait for Solomon to come. But it was worth it when he came. We've waited a long time for Jesus Christ to come. And he will come. And we should be anticipating. Which is the question I now have for you, dear friend. Are you looking forward to Jesus Christ soon coming? Or is it such a distant thing to you that it makes no matter? That it's no longer real to you? It's no longer imminent to you? Is Jesus Christ coming a big deal for you? The Bible talks about in the book of 1 John that we purify ourselves with this hope. That if you believe that Jesus Christ could come back at any time, it changes the way that we behave. There's things that you don't want to be caught doing. I mean, we all know that we're going to talk about it, that, hey, where was you at when Jesus came? Well, I was in church. Where was you at when Jesus came? Well, let me tell you, I was leading the last person of the Lord. That's my personal goal. I want to be, have an open Bible and for them to personally accept Christ. Woo, we're out of there. Hey, where was you at when Christ came? I don't want to talk about it. Where was you at when Jesus Christ came? I was somewhere where I wasn't supposed to be. That'd be rough, wouldn't it? You see, if you believe Jesus Christ can come back at any time, that means at any time. The Bible says that we purify ourselves with this hope. If Jesus Christ was to come back, what would he catch you doing? Where would he catch you at? With who would he catch you with? This is a purifying hope. Is the coming of Jesus Christ a real thing? God made a promise and God can't lie. He is coming back. Are you looking forward to it? Are you anticipating the time for when our shepherd boy comes back as king to take us to live with him forever? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.